All right, well, it's a real, it's a real pleasure to be here tonight. There's just a whole lot of memories from this church because I take it for granted that and I know everybody, but I know churches. There's always new people. So I'm Brother Joel Dare. Me, uh, my wife Stephanie's down there. My son Kenton, my daughter Brielle, we're missionaries to Brazil, and when we were on deputation. This church was just a real blessing to us because we were able to, Pastor Legault allowed us to base out of this church for I think it was five months at one stretch and a couple weeks another stretch and especially at that time we were dealing with some health issues with my son and so it allowed Stephanie just to stay here while I traveled and that was, it's just one of those things that really can't put into words what a blessing that was to us and how much we really needed that at that point and then the Lord really used this church to really help help us through all that. And I am very thankful for your prayers and stuff because it was a blessing after, shortly after our first basin out of here, we were able to find some medication for our son that worked and started out applying something three times a day and now he's down to just one time a day, all this different stuff that he used to have allergies to, like milk, wheat, all this stuff that we used to have to, I mean, for a while we were literally just feeding him potatoes. <laughs> that was the only thing the poor kid could eat. And now, I mean, I almost cried the first time I was able to eat pizza with my son. I know that sounds stupid, but when you go through all the different, just a lot of stuff, then all of a sudden for the Lord to take a lot of those things away, that was, that was just a real, real blessing. But the Lord's sure been good to us. I think it's been about in, let me see, in February it'll be five years since we left for Brazil, and right the... The night that I, the night that I was getting ready to leave, I guess it was, it was a Friday night that I was saying goodbye to all my family and stuff, and I remember just kind of leaving, just kind of crying that night, going, God, I don't like this part. And the very next day, it was the first verse I read in my Bible, it was Exodus 33:14, where God makes a promise, and he says, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And man, that was like some bomb of Gilead to my soul that day. It was just a promise from the Lord that, well, yeah, this is hard, son, but I'll be with you, and I can sure say he has been. But uh, we started out down there with Brother Matt Shirouse. He's a veteran missionary, been down, the, I think he was in the class. I think he graduated one year before Pastor Kenny, if I remember right. But he's been down in Brazil for about 15 years, so we started out with him the first couple years. And, of course, anytime you go to a foreign country, you're going to have to learn language and culture. You're going to have to adapt to the culture and also learn the language. Well, aside, those first couple months with the culture, getting a little bit established were kind of tough, but the culture for us actually, up to this point, has always been fairly easy because Brazilians are very, they're very friendly people, very loving people, and I, now I realize the Lord gave us supernatural love for them, but they, that, was always, that was always very easy to love them. But the language for me was very, very difficult. Agora eu consegui falar em português, mas I said now, now I can speak in Portuguese, but for a couple years that was a real struggle. And I worked on that for years without seeing it, I mean, just for a very long time and really struggled. But Lord, but I mean, it's one of those things that you just have to be faithful and do what you're supposed to do, and eventually, and eventually, and eventually it happens. But after we'd been there about two years, we're really praying about where the Lord wants us to go next. And Stephanie's brother, Nathaniel, visited us. And I still couldn't speak Portuguese just too well. And so I asked Brother Shiraus, well, can you help me plan a few things? He's going to want to do ministry things. He doesn't want to just hold a Portuguese vocabulary for me. And so Brother Shiraus and me planned some different things, different 
visit a couple cities, preach, and pass out tracts. Well, one city we visited was called Atajuba, which I had visited during a survey trip three years prior, and I'd been praying about that city for three years. But some people got saved when we visited, and I was still praying about it, but Itajuba is a college town. It's a pretty, it's one of the oldest colleges in Brazil. It's a pretty rich college, so typically the, I heard from, or someone told me that a population of 90,000, 10,000 are students. And so that's, anybody who knows anything who's dealt with college students knows that a college town, a small college town, particularly a rich college town, there's a very strong liberal spirit that goes with that that's not exactly the easiest place. So I was kind of hesitant about, and I was feeling the Lord dealing with me, and so I decided to throw out a little fleece one day while I was praying. I was like, now, Lord, I still don't know Portuguese too well, so I'm going to need some help with this thing. And so if you want me to go to Itajuba, will you have Brother Shirouse mention something to me about starting to work in Itajuba? And I kind of threw it off on that. Well, later on that day, I was talking on the phone with Brother Shirouse. He gave me a call, and he was like, now, Brother Dare, I don't know why. I don't, I'm not trying to be the Holy Spirit. I don't know. I don't know why I felt led to call you. Maybe it was just an idea on my part. I don't know. But for some reason, I felt led to call you and see if you'd consider going over to Tajiba and starting to work over there. I'm like, well, as a matter of fact, I have been praying. So I started in January of 2020. I printed up a bunch of, got, I mean, we got a bunch of chick tracks, a bunch of church invitation, or at that time it was a Bible st- invitation to a Bible study passed a bunch out, and I started meeting with just a couple people that I met. Then five weeks later, COVID happened, which is the perfect time to start. Everyone knows the perfect time to start a church, and the entire thing shut down. And there, through all that time, there was naturally some discouragement with some of, the, with some of that stuff. My, I mean, you try and start something, and of course, even once stuff started back up, I had a list of 20 people who all said, oh, we want to be part of it, and not a single one of them came, of those people came, and some of that stuff. But the Bible says, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And, then, but, and so, naturally, when you're doing sowing, there's, you're going to sow with some tears. But praise the Lord, especially this past year, when you start seeing some of the, a little bit of the reaping come in, man... It's hard to describe the joy with some of that stuff. One of the first couples we met was Gustav, um, a man by the name of Gustavo and his wife Priscilla. She was, he was already, he was a teacher. She was finishing up her in- internship to be a doctor, and they were able to start with us, and they have been faithful ever since, and just watching them grow. I had one of my, uh, one of my next other couples that are real faithful. He was a retired Army colonel, and his wife was a professor at the college, and couldn't get a t- clear testimony of salvation out of him, but he visited for months, and then finally, after praying and praying, he came after, up after me one after one service. Was like, Pastor, I want to be sure about this salvation thing. Was able to pray with him, and it, he got saved. And man, then I was able to just disciple him, whole discipleship, baptize him. He's gone with me on visitation now, and he's and man. One of those times, he told me, Pastor, I was in evangelical churches for ten years, and I never understood salvation. And he was like, and man, it's so easy. And man, when you hear some stuff like that, that's when that joy of that reaping comes in. Another time he, another time he told a group of people, he was like, sometimes I think God sent Pastor Joel to Brazil just for me. And man, when you, when you get some stuff like that, some stuff like that helps you go on down the road. <laughs> I remember one time after I just finished teaching him on dispensationalism, 
I was at this other place, I think it was a birthday party, and this other pastor in town happened to be there in Edson. I mean, not only was he a retired Air Force colonel, but he is a very intelligent guy, but he was just so excited about learning the Bible. He's doing this whole doctrinal lesson to this other pastor, and I would just want to die laughing because I thought this other guy doesn't have a clue what you're talking about, buddy. <laughs> he doesn't have a clue. But, man, it was fun. And then, like, for example, last last uh, December, I was at a, my son was playing a soccer game, and he was, and this other dad was there, this pretty up, pretty high up in the police force, and got a chance to witness to him afterwards, led him to the Lord. The next, next Friday night, went to disciple him, led his wife to the Lord. They've been faithful in church ever since. I was just talking to him a couple days ago, and he was like, well, pastor, everything's going good here. We're just missing you guys, just counting down the days till you get back, and Man, stuff like that, that's just a blessing. And so there's all sorts of story there's all sorts of stories I could tell. There's all sorts of different things I could go on about, but God's been sure good to us. And we sure appreciate the prayers because naturally when you write prayer letters, you write highlights. And when I talk up here you write highlights, but all that's spread over almost five years now of a lot of sewing. And a lot of that sewing does come with tears. There's tears of discouragement, there's tears of loneliness, there's t- all that stuff, but I am sure thankful for the Lord letting us see, see some reaping now. And it's like I said, and it's one of those things there's, I am really thankful the Lord allowed us an opportunity to come, to come up here because this church was like a second home to us. But we, it was literally just my church, home church in Pensacola in this church because the work down there is very new. I mean, most of these people have only been with me for maybe a year, a lot of them a lot less than that, and so it's all very new, and so I didn't want to be away from them for long. And so while I've been gone, I pre-recorded some lessons, some Bible studies that I sent them for Wednesday night, and then some guys from Brother Matt, Pastor Matt Charles's church are coming over and preaching for me on Sunday night. So, so it's been a blessing, and it's just a blessing just seeing how God does things and how he how he gives you blessings even when you're not expecting them. When Steph, because Stephanie, I wanted her and the kids to have a little bit more time with family, so they actually came to the States six weeks before I came, and that is just miserable being without your family for six weeks. <laughs> that was terrible. But on, it was a Wednesday night. It was, to, I guess it was about a month ago, because it was right before I flew out. But I went to a church one night, and actually Wednesday nights normally aren't as full, and two of the people had to work. My, another guy's truck was broken. The third person that I was counting on, her because of her health, she couldn't come that night. And so I literally went to church expecting no one to be there, which is not fun. But I was literally expecting to go there and just be faithful. That's all you can do. But I had, but I had a girl show up who hadn't been there in months, and she brought her lost Catholic boyfriend. And instead of teaching, I just led him to the Lord instead. <laughs> and so... And I think it was the week after that, my very last week, I had a woman that contacted me months earlier, but she came and led her to the Lord right before, and that was the week before I left. So God's been good. He's been good. And that song we sang, which is one of my wife's favorites, Great is Thy Faithfulness. We sure haven't always been faithful to him, but man, he's sure been faithful to us. And I sure appreciate this church. I appreciate your prayers for me and my family. And I sure, I just sure appreciate you all being faithful and holding the ropes for us. But if you would go and turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 22. 
Now you all know this verse, and I'm not going to spend much time with it, but it'll just kind of be a jumping board for where I'm going to go next, which I have to say it's a pleasure speaking English when I'm preaching. <laughs> that is nice. I'm so used to, I mean, I'm so used to, I mean, you just have a limited vocabulary, which it's always growing more, but you're just limited with how many synonyms, all these things, and man, it's just it's a real pleasure to talk in English <laughs> in public. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 20, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1, the Bible says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. And what I just want to spend a few minutes on tonight is, that is the first part of that verse, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. And so this passage is talking about having a good name, and the title of this message tonight is, What is Your Legacy Going to Be? Because people of this lost world, people will spend all sorts, men will spend great, great sums of money because they want to have a good legacy. They want, to, they want to show that they were this great guy. They want to have a great name. And so rich men, will, they'll donate stuff to hospitals, universities, all this stuff. And, I mean, as a general rule, most rich men weren't... I mean, they're good businessmen, but lots of times they weren't the best men in the world in order to get that riches. So at the end of their life, when they're rich and that doesn't satisfy, well, I've got I've to show that I'm actually a great guy. I want people to think of my name. They, I don't want them to think that I was greedy. I want them to think that I was this generous guy. And naturally, names do mean something. If I say the name Adolf Hitler, <laughs> you naturally think of something. I don't care if there might be other Adolf Hitlers, but you only think of one because that name means something. And if I say the name Napoleon, it means something. If I, if I say George Washington, you think of something. And of course, if I say the name Paul, the Apostle Paul, well, you think of something. And of course, the name above every name, Jesus Christ, you think of something. But of course, when I talk about having a good name, you understand I'm talking about having a good name when you bow before the Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment. That's, the, that's what I'm talking about. If you, have, if you as a Christian have a good name in this world, that means you're not a, you weren't a good soldier because this world despises Christians, or at least they despise Christians who are good soldiers because good soldiers are, are called to fight and constantly fight against what the world is pushing. And if you're standing against that and actively pushing against it as a soldier, as a soldier should, well, this, well, you won't have a good name in this world. But... I'm talking about are you going to have a good name one day when you bow before your Savior. And so, tonight that's what I want to preach on is what kind of a name, what kind of a name you're going to have when you bow before Him. Because in this world, the kind of name you have is influenced largely by where you grew up or how much money your parents had. I mean, if you're born to certain families, your name might mean something just because of your last name. It means that you're worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars. And I, and I realize environment, all that stuff affects your name as in this world. But as a Christian, your name is your name and your legacy at the judgment is going to be based 100% on you. And it's going to be on your choices. And that's something that's, I remember I, I used to do juvenile ministry and I dealt with, I dealt with that type of thing for many years. But it was always frustrating to me how the system is always geared to excuse any sort of personal accountability. It's all geared to it's your environment's fault, it's your parents' fault, it's the system's fault, it's the school's fault, it's everybody's fault but you. And I remember, 
call it a pet peeve, but I used to rail on that when I preached there, like, fellas, you are what you are because of the choices you make. And when you bow before Jesus Christ, a Christian, it's not going to be the pastor's fault. It's not going to be the church's fault. It's not going to be the parents' fault. The, it's going to be your fault. And your name, your legacy as a Christian is going to be based 100% on what you do right now. And so that's what I'm going to pre- that's what I want to preach about tonight. And I'm going to compare two men. Two men who, until I started preparing and studying for this message, you don't think of them in the same sentence because you automatically think of their end. You think of their legacy. And their legacy was so different that, at least me personally, I had never thought of them as, being, as having so many similarities. They're two men who I'm going to preach about, their, talk about some of their similarities, but they were both, now I realize we know how to divide our Bibles, but they were, they were two men who were, they, they were born, raised, and died under Mosaic law. And, but they were, they, both these men were saved in the Old Testament sense. But both those men had legacies completely different. When I say the name of one, you're going to think of one of the greatest prophets in the entire Bible. And when I say the other name, you're going to think of a suicide. And both then, the two men I'm going to preach on tonight are John the Baptist and Samson. And two men who, at least me personally, I had never thought of them being similar at all because you just think of their legacies. But when they started out, they were very similar. And the fact that they were both saved men, most all the similarities I'm going to talk about are true of each one of you as a Christian. And your legacies can be either one. They can be, it can be a legacy like Samson had or a legacy like John had. And so before I go any farther, uh, Pastor Kenny, can you go ahead and pray, please? Now tonight I'm going to preach out of two passages, so if you would find Judges chapter 13 in your Bibles and Luke chapter 1. Judges 13 and Luke chapter 1, because I'm going to compare these two men, so I normally like to stay in one passage, but for this message it's necessary to observe both. So Judges chapter 13 and Luke chapter 1, I'm going to be going back between these two passages, the rest of the message. So Judges chapter 13 and Luke chapter 1. And the first thing I want, to, I want to speak about for just a few minutes is I want to point out how these men were, had some similarities and their start was essentially the same. And it's the same as what every Christian starts out as. And the first thing is that they both had a supernatural, there was something supernatural about their birth. Look in Judges 13, verses 2 and 3. Judges 13, 2 and 3, and the Bible says, And there was a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren. And bear not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold, now thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now go and flip over to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. I'm going to skip around a little bit, but Luke chapter 1, most of you know about John's parents, Zacharias and Elizabeth, but look in verse 7, Luke 1 7. 
It says, And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren, and they were now well stricken in years. And now look on down in verse 13, Luke 1, 13. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And so both these men, their lives started out with something supernatural. And of course, the comparison I'd like to make as a Christian is if you're a Christian today, you start out because of a supernatural birth. If you didn't have a supernatural birth, you're not a Christian. Um, it's one of those things I deal with constantly in Brazil. It's a very, they don't like to really be too confrontational. So they'll try and agree with you. So you have to almost trick them into saying what they really believe. And that's a, one of the things I'll ask them, well, have you ever been born again? Or do you know what that means to be born again? And I remember when I was preparing for this sermon, it was two days before I'd been witnessing to a man named Bruno, and he gave a very typical response, well, it's baptism. And, of course, we all know that's not what it is. And he was a, Bruno was a lost man. And the new birth, and a new, and if you're going to ever, if you're going to go to heaven, it's because there was a time and place in your life where you realized you were a sinner on your way to hell, and that baptism couldn't save you, personal righteousness couldn't save you, religion couldn't save you, works couldn't save you, nothing but what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And there had to be in that new birth is a time and place when you, as a sinner, receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. And the Bible says, ye must be born again. But both these men, in an Old Testament sense, were in an Old Testament sense, were born again. They were saved men. And so they had that in common. But not only that, they were both called to be set apart and pure and be separated. Look in Judges 13, verses 4 and 5. Look back over to Judges, Judges chapter 13, verses 4 and 5. The Bible says, Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. Now flip over to Luke chapter 1, verse 15. Luke 1, 15. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And so both John and Samson had a supernatural birth, and they were both called from birth to be separated, to be pure, and to be called out. And as a Christian, that's what each one of us is called to. You are called as a Christian to be separated, to be pure, and to be called out. As a Christian, there ought to be things that ought, there are things there are things that ought to be different between you and the world. It's a great shame when you hear a Christian talk and there's no difference between their conversation and that of the world. And it's a that's why it's a great shame when the standard of separation of Christian's life is no different from the world. And that's something that, as the world gets more and more wicked, Christians just have a natural tendency to just adapt to the world. And I, I'm sure you've all heard this illustration, but when the world's here, Christians stay here. And when the world gets here, well, Christians just followed pretty soon. Most Christians today have far less character than what our grandparents had. And the many, and many Christians would watch things on television, would listen to things that lost people 50 years ago wouldn't have done or and that's just because of a, well, because Christians are forgetting their call. They're called to be separated, called to be pure. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, 17, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And as a Christian, you are called for that. You're called to be separate. 
And Christians get funny about these things when that separation hits something personal. I mean, it's all easy to be separated on something you don't care about. But it's a whole other thing when it's family. And it's a whole other thing when it's something that you love. And that's what will divide the soldiers from, from just any other Christian. That's where, that's where the soldiers start separating themselves. I mean, frankly, it's, I've not been in the military, but there's a huge difference between a Navy SEAL and just somebody who and somebody on and somebody who joins the army the first day on the job, first day of basic training. There's a huge difference. But if you're going to excel, you're going to separate from some things. There's a huge difference between just going out and playing a game of baseball than being in the major leagues, and you're going to have to separate from some things if you're going to excel. And I hope and any good Christian is going to want to excel, and that's going to determine where the legacy ends up. And not only that, but both these men were called to be an example and be a witness to their generation. Look in Judges chapter 13 again. Judges 13, verse 5. Judges 13, verse 5 says, uh, For lo, he shall conceive and bear a son, no raise shall come on his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. And then look over in Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, verse 15. Actually, I'm going to just read the last part of the verse to save time. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. Now, both these men were called to be an example, be a witness, and be a great effect on, their, on that generation. And I realize this is a very extreme case. Both these men were very extreme. I realize that. But every single, Christian, every single Christian is called by God to be an example, to be a witness, and be an effect on their generation. And it's a very, and I realize that depending on the position God puts you in, but there's many Christians who think, well, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a missionary, I'm not an evangelist, and so nobody, I'm not a deacon, so it doesn't really matter. But the Bible says, no man liveth to himself, no man dieth to himself. And it does affect you. I don't care how tough somebody talks, it affects you when another brother falls. And I bawled my eyes out at times when a brother did something or a brother, different stuff happened where I bawled. I remember one time something happened where I felt like I got punched in the gut for about a week before I started kind of adjusting to the news because it affects you. And I've been saved a long time, but it still hurts and it still affects you and you have that influence and I've thought before, I mean, I mean, it'd sure affect my wife if I, did, if I did something wrong. It'd sure affect my kids. It'd sure affect those, because, because no man liveth to himself, no man dieth to himself. And then the last thing I just want to mention on this point about their similarities, they both had special power from God. Of course, just for sake of time, I'm not going to turn to it, but you all know of Samson's power was, that was manifest in supernatural strength. And then look in Luke, if you're still in Luke, look in, look in Luke chapter 1, verse 17. Luke 1, 17. The Bible says, And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, where Samson's power was manifest in supernatural strength, John's power was manifest through his preaching and his life, so much so that after he was dead, his enemies thought he must have resurrected from the dead because of the kind of power and testimony he had. 
And I realize once again that the power manifest in their life was very extreme, but technically speaking, every single Christian has access to the same power. Because the Bible says in Acts 1.8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And a Christian does have spiritual power from God. If you're saved, you've got the Holy Spirit living and abiding in you forever. That's technically even more than what John or Samson had. John and Samson didn't have that promise as Old Testament saints. We have that promise. The Holy Spirit is abiding us and will never leave. And you have that power. And so both these men had a lot of similarities, similarities that every single Christian here has. But their legacy is completely different. When you think of Samson, you think of, pro you think of a prostitute, you think of suicide. Mostly, you just think of a great waste. You think of what it could have been. You think of a judge that had more gifts, more potential than any other judge. No other judge had the kind of supernatural power that Samson had. So when I think of Samson, I've preached on him, I've read about him and thought about him, but I just mostly come back to what a great waste. But when you think of John, you just think of one of the great, you think of Herod saying, I think, I think, I mean, Herod saying, when he, when he saw Jesus, it must be John. I mean, John was such a great man of God, he was literally confused with Jesus Christ. You say, how do two men who started out the same end up so different? I mean, what went wrong? Well, look over in, well, if you're still in Luke, let's look at this first. Luke chapter 1, verse 80. The second thing I want to say is their character, their spiritual character was developed in private. Luke chapter 1, verse 80, the Bible says, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, and was in the deserts until the day of his showing unto Israel. Now look over in Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13. Judges 13, verses 24 and 25. The Bible says, And the woman bare a son, and called his name Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zor and Ashtolo. Now you really don't read too much about Samson's character. You read about his birth, and then you read essentially him going down to Timnath and the rest of his life. But something happened in those years. Something that ultimately determined their destiny. And with John, you don't read much about him. You read one verse about John. But something happened in that time. And that time was in private. And most of the time, we only recognize people naturally for what they do in public. But things done in public are happened because of some stuff that happened in private. And that's true both ways. If you see a, if you see a great preacher, great ministry, or great soul or something, well, that's because some stuff happened. That's because a whole lot of stuff happened in private. And the same thing goes when you see a, somebody fall into some terrible sin, the natural tendency is to say, oh, my gosh, how could this ever happen? It didn't just happen. There was a whole lot of private sin for a whole lot of time that God let somebody buy it. Well, didn't let him buy it, with, but had showed great mercy. But eventually it comes out, and as it does in the life of Samson. But both these men, their characters developed in private. With John, it says he grew strong in spirit. So John's getting stronger. But with Samson, all it says is the Lord began to move him. And that's the difference right there. The Holy Spirit had access to both, but one's growing in one the Holy Spirit's just moving him. And Christian, you can't be a Christian and sit in a good church and have access to the truth without the Holy Spirit will move you. It's a matter of, but that does not mean you grow strong in spirit. 
And I've seen plenty of Christians. I've been in, I grew up in church. I saw plenty of Christians that had access to the same preaching I did. Some that went to Bible school, same as I did. And I know the Holy Spirit of God moved. There's, there's men that I can look back on now that fell into great sin. And I can think of messages that dealt with that sin, looking back, where, I, where now I know they were dealing with it. And I know the Holy Spirit of God was moving them. But that means nothing if you don't respond. And as a Christian, you always think, God will move me one more time. And you think, well... Lord's moved me, he's moved me before, he'll move me again. I can, I can continue a little bit longer. But you have no idea when God will say that's enough. And when the, when the Holy Spirit of God won't move you anymore. But both these men had access to that, that same power. The Holy Spirit's moving and dealing with both of them, but one grew and one didn't. There's one man who I can think of that I was in Bible school with when he was, I was a third year, he, was, he had just started first year, and I mean, no one knew it, and it wasn't any of our business, but he was involved in some sin. And I know the Holy Spirit of God moved him, and he got, Lord, let him by with it in mercy for years and years and years. But eventually, God said that's enough, and he lost his testimony, his family, his position, his everything. Because eventually, God does say that's enough. And the next thing I want to say about both, so both these men, they were raised, very. they had a lot of similarities starting out. Their character was developed in private. But the third thing I want to say about these, both these men that was interesting is both them, their ministries were cut very short. And they both died prisoners. And they both died prisoners surrounded by their enemies. And Samson died early. He wasn't supposed to die that soon. And John, his ministry was actually probably only about six months. And he died. Both men died prisoners. And a, and a young person can look at a life like John and say, what's the point in serving God? I mean, look how he suffered. He died. Well, that's true. And the Bible does say, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's true. You'll suffer if you do right. But sometimes I think as, as Bible-believing preachers, we get so focused on suffering for the Lord, you forget that you'll suffer for sin as well. You'll suffer either way. And as a matter of fact, in many ways, you'll suffer a whole lot worse. There's a whole, when you start comparing lives, true, both Samson and John died, but... John had his eyes right up to the very end. John could see clearly up to the very end. Samson couldn't. It was a long time when Samson just as blind as could be and he couldn't see anything, and that's the, exactly the way a person who serves sin will be. They'll just live the rest of their life just as blind as can be. You know what? John, there's no record of John being in chains. But Samson was in chains. And there's no record of John grinding in the prison house as a slave. But Samson's doing that. And John has his disciples still around. He still has friends. He still has people. Samson was alone, and he died alone. And where John, was so, even in death, was so honored that he could scare some of the most powerful people in the world so much that they thought he came back to life. He had that kind of testimony. Samson died being publicly ridiculed, publicly humiliated, and just publicly scorned. And some of that's important to say every once in a while because sometimes young people will look at how maybe a Christian suffers and say, well, I don't want to live that way. Well, it's true. If you live godly in Christ Jesus, you'll suffer persecution. That's true. But the Bible also says in Proverbs 13, 15, the way of the transgressors is hard. And it is hard. I've seen some, and <laughs> it's a whole lot better 
to suffer knowing that this would happen in the perfect will of God. And one of these days, I'm going to get reward the judgment seat of Christ for it and suffer as a backslidden Christian know that this has happened just because you did wrong. I mean, John did have some access to some great comfort. He knew that he did right. He knew that he had served the Lord. And Samson, there was no comfort for him as he's grinding as a slave. It's just, I just, I just imagine that grief and that despair. And the thing is, Christian, they both started out essentially the same. And right now, every single Christian, if you're saved, you started out being born again, and you started out with all those similarities I just mentioned. You start out the same. And I was looking just even at a photo album that James had and some signatures in it, people that I went to school with, and there was one signature in there that I just about started crying when I read it. Because it said, do right and don't quit, James, and that man quit and he's not doing right. I just about started crying when I saw that signature. And you know what? One of these days, and people don't really know it too much now, but one day the Jones City of Christ is going to be two totally different legacies. And we all started out exactly the same. And that's the last thing I, want to ju- I just want to say. Both, both these men left a legacy. And I realize in this world, maybe people don't know who you are, but one of these days, the Jones City of Christ, all the eyes of heaven is going to be pointed towards your legacy. Because one of these days, when the, works, when the works and the life go into the fire and it all comes out, you are going to have a legacy. Samson, you think of one of the great, one of the most talented, it's be pretty hard to come up with a man more t- naturally gifted and talented than Samson just a waste. His whole life just thrown away. For what I mean, you think of what it could have been, but of course it's just hypothetical. We'll never know because he lived life for himself. Just lived for the flesh his whole life. When you think of John, you think of a man who was so spiritual, he was literally confused with Jesus Christ. When people saw Jesus, they said, it must be John. That is some high praise, but I suppose there can be no greater praise than what Jesus said about him I mean, men can be off on their opinions, but Jesus Christ said, by the way, of those born among women, there had not risen a greater than John the Baptist. And that's his legacy. Printed in, the, printed in a perfect King James Bible, preserved for all eternity, those are the legacies. Those are the names. And Christian, you're going to have a legacy, and you're going to have a name. And over some Christians, as the fire burns those works down, over some is going to be a legacy of a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That is going to be faithful Christian. Others going to be good servant of Jesus Christ. But there's going to be many others that just going to come off lazy. Wasted potential. Complainer. Unfaithful. But you will have it. There was two men who were, I won't give all their names, though some, though some people in here will know them. But there was two men that I know personally, and both men by nature were very similar. They were both spent a large portion of their life in my home church there in Bible Baptist. Both men are about the same age, and both men, as far as from a human standpoint, both men were very, very naturally talented. Both men naturally very gifted leaders. People naturally, they tended to naturally get people to follow them. 
And both those men had Christian parents, both men very strong personalities, both the oldest of a number of brothers, and, I mean, I'm not going to, here it wouldn't mean the same thing, but if I said their names in Bible Baptist Church, every, I mean, no one ever puts those names in the same sentence because one has, an, has a reputation of quitter, loser, failure, wait, more, more than anything, just wasted potential. And the other guy has a great name. And the one is Brother Matt Shirals. He's been, he, surrendered, he, lived, he lived for the Lord, surrendered to the, he, he was witnessing the whole time through high school, went from high school and playing college football, or not college, playing football to, to Bible school, went from there to the mission field, and he's been down there winning souls, training preachers ever since. Good family, good name, good legacy. And the other guy, divorced twice now, no family, no wife, no kids, no reputation, just wasted. And they both had, they both were two of the most gifted men I've ever seen. But the legacy is just completely different. And Christian, I realize everybody gives, gets some, gets some different talents and different abilities, but every, per, every Christian starts out very similar. They start, they start out with some of the similarities of having a supernatural birth, being called to be set apart and pure, called to be a witness and endued with power to do something for God. But your legacy will depend on what you do in private. And one day it'll come out. And let me tell you something on that day. You trade any, you and at the judgment seat of Christ, you trade any name of the world. You trade them. You trade any amount of money. You trade any sort of success in this world's eyes. You trade anything for a good name in heaven for that legacy. But it's too late then. The time to actually get if the time to actually develop a legacy is now. And if you've been kind of slacking in your private character and developing your private life, the time to get right is now, because the moments are passing and they're fleeting. And one of these days, we're going to hear the trumpet blow. And on that day, it's to gone. And it's in the ten, the chance. And every single second that passes, I praise God, it's getting closer to the end. But every second that passes, Bray, is one second less time, shorter and shorter. And one of these days, it'll be done. And that day, when the judgment calls, the only thing you're going to want is to have a good legacy and have a good name at that judgment. All right, Pastor Ken.